Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Time for podcast number two. I'm walking to work again. I'm sorry if you got to listen to the flip, my flip flops flip flopping along. I thought it's, it's only it's about about seven o'clock in the morning, but I need to sort of warm my warm my voice up. Actually, I was in the I was in the supermarket yesterday, and uh, I was shopping along and this I think maybe she was um, Malaysian woman that came up I was listening to listening to a podcast or something this Malaysian woman came up and she started like, talking to me and I was wondering what she was you know I was like, huh? <laughs> and so I pulled out my um, pulled out my, ear, my earplugs earphones and she was like trying to hand me something like a tiny piece of paper like a post-it note that's all folded up and she was like going she was like saying something but I didn't understand what she was t- saying and and um and she was like she was saying uh do you want a massage and she was like handing me this tiny little piece of paper uh, <laughs> so, so I took the paper off her and I was like oh thank you and I put it in my pocket and then I was like I think that might have been a prostitute um which is a, it's a bit concerning, really, because I must I must be looking like somebody who wants to, you know, have a massage. So, so I put it in my pocket. And then I then I kept on shopping like nothing had happened. And then another woman came up, and she was like really heavily, heavily uh, made up. And she 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 was like, um, do you want a massage? And she was like giving me this. Uh, Give me another post-it note, and I was like, "No, no, no, it's okay, it's okay." And so then she looked really, really crestfallen. And then like walked away, and then I, and I just thought like, I felt really bad then. Cause I think she might be thinking that, you know, I was all right with the other with the other one giving me a post-it note, but not her. So I felt really guilty. But so maybe maybe strange women coming up and offering for you to pay them to give you a, a massage. With a happy ending, who knows? Uh, it may be a sign of uh, sign of maturity. I'm looking more mature. I was walking around in my flip flops and my shorts and things, looking like a looking like a homeless person. But nevertheless, maybe I'm maybe I'm looking <laughs> looking older. I have a few I have a few friends here. I've got a friend from uh, Ghana, and because uh, she's because uh, she's black, quite a few people. They've like stopped at the car and they're like money money and they're like doing the money sign and they're telling her to come because they think she's a prostitute so you have to kind of uh you know, if you're living in if you're living in london you know you'd be outraged this would be on the the front page of the bbc website and you would have that face where you look really sad and your eyebrows are at 45 degrees and uh you know it'd be like how terrible how terrible <laughs> the world is um, everyone has to like flagellate themselves but uh, here it doesn't seem to be that big, that big a deal it's just a thing of life um, so so seeing that I, I seem to be getting you know um, people thinking I'm, I'm older I was going to impart some uh, impart some advice today so this podcast I guess the it's, uh, I think I, I think I'll call it um, how to stay alive or or how not to die. Which I'm not, I'm not sure which one's the most positive, but 
probably how not staying alive staying alive I think that's a film with John Travolta um, not a very good film if you want to see a really good film with John Travolta uh, Blow Up that's the one to not Blow Up um, anyway there's a film Blow Up no that's, that's another film uh, Blow Out Blow Out maybe it's called anyway very good so 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 this week um, someone I know um, uh, uh, Brad Gobright uh, died uh, in an absolutely accident and I wouldn't say he was a, he was a friend of mine but I'd like met him quite a few times uh, I was on the I was on the nose when they broke the record I was climbing the nose and what was funny I actually climbed the nose uh, twice and both times like Brad like came past and on the first time they were going like super fast and there were some friends and one of them had just had a piss and they'd pissed all over this ledge so when uh, Brad got there he had like, like yeah, and he put his hand in all this piss so maybe that's maybe that's slowed him down that first time and when we when we got up to the the glowering spot uh no was it glowering spot anyway a glowering spot on the nose there's a uh, the only the only there's some like like most most of the aid climbing on the nose you don't really have to think about it it's just super super easy but there's one or two bits uh like low low down uh, on the first few pitches where it's, it's not like super easy and people often get um sort of think oh god it's all gonna be like this and they they freak out and they they bail but the and the glowering spot it's not very difficult either but it's a little bit more difficult as in it's like tiny wires going up this crack and if you if you were to make a mistake you'd you'd land on this uh ledge so it's, it's one bit where I, I always think you have to just slow down a little bit and you have to you know put in just be a bit more careful so it's all about the what, what's you know, what's the consequences of falling off because sometimes you, when you're speed climbing so I've, so I've climbed El Cap uh, twice in a day and I've um, I tried to solo it in a day and it took me about 30 hours so um, I, you know I, I, have a, I have some experience of like running you know doing a whole pitch without any gear in and short fixing and that kind of stuff so but anyway it's so on the glowering spot I'd, I'd done it before I've climbed the nose a few times and I did it with somebody who didn't seem to know how to take any wires out so we ended up le- leaving an entire rack of wires on the nose and a lot of the, a lot of the wires on the great roof were my wires and on the glowering spot so the 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 second or third time I climbed the nose all these wires was a lot of these wires were mine and they were still in the glowering spot so people were just treating it like a via ferrata and they were just uh climbing up there climbing up these wires so um so brad had been they'd been using these wires so i so i actually took a i actually started taking a hammer like a really small light hammer so, so people could knock the wires out because it can be quite hard to if you if you weigh like 100 kilos and you're bouncing on a wire it can be quite hard to get out so on the sun, so this this first time Brad was up there, when I got to the glowering spot, uh, I, I or somebody cleaned all the wires out. So it went from being like a via ferrata where you were just yarding upon these wires to just being a crack. So then the next time we were, I was on the nose, we we're actually on uh, the camp camp three, camp three anyway, camp three, just just below the glowering spot. And uh, oh my God, I've got his name. Anyway, your, your man who your man who did the who brought the record with him. Um, oh God, sorry, I'm getting sure there's a sign of getting old. I can't remember. Um, crazy man. So, so I was climbing, and I know. So, so, so those guys came up, and they were like, "This was this was the this was the time they brought the record," and they were like going like just cr- like crazy fast. Anyway, so he, he gets up there and. Uh, you know, instead of having this like string of wires there, it was just a crack. So, but he was, it, it, it hardly slowed him down, and he was just. But I just remember there was a bit where he kind of got to the last crack, last last placement for wire, and then kind of slumped into the. He was almost like rolling, rolling up the, just 
staggering up this vertical vertical wall it was like super super impressive um so yeah so so um everyone yeah, anyone listening to this podcast will know that um brad and another guy were doing a uh, simultaneous abseil and uh brad abseiled off the end of the rope so brad fell uh, and was killed and the because because he was in a simultaneous abseil the other guy also fell because once he came off the end of the rope there was no one counterbalancing him so he fell and uh amazingly landed on a ledge and uh just just stopped himself from falling down um so when these things happen like these i feel like sometimes like a when i you know you're doing a, a, a search for like an old email some address of somebody you know and you'll 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 pull up a like a, an email where you all these people are cc'd into it from like 2000 or you know 2004 or something and you look down this list of names and about 20% of the people have been killed are climbing since then like if if you you know if you make a living writing um, eulogies for dead climbers you know you could probably make you know you could probably make quite a, a lot of money out of it because it's it's like all all too common really there's a few there's a few climbers who you think should be dead by now who aren't but, but there's a lot of there's a lot who are dead who probably it's more you know it's quite surprising they, did, they died also a lot it's not surprising at all so when when someone dies generally you have this you know everyone starts eulogizing and like oh he died doing what he he loved and um you know all this kind of crap basically um and it's kind of a it's a cop it's a coping strategy why people do it like i'm i'm kind of on some kind of autistic spectrum like you need to think of me like greta thunberg or somebody like i don't really uh, have emotions like a normal person so I, I i just find it all all this like poetry and all this it's just uh I, I i just don't get it really i can see i can i can't i do get it i understand why people do it but i just feel like it's i feel like often it's like missing the point like brad didn't die doing what he loved he died you know he died in an absolute accident and i think the number one person who would be critical of brad uh, would be brad and then his family and i think often when there's like a tragic accident it, it, i think it, i think people should be angry i think you should be more angry i think you should be like pissed off because like the, the you know the, the damage the damage someone dying does like you you basically put people you know you you know who you love and you care for in like a sort of form of living death basically for a, for the rest of their lives like your your mum and your dad and people like that like it you know you i always think it's a little bit like the truman show you know where the entire world is folk focus on truman when he realizes he's in this like big tv program you know this, this sort of false reality the entire world is like glued at this you know when he's when he's finally getting out of this thing and everyone's looking at it and then as soon as he um the moment he walks through the door into the outside world someone's like what's on the other side and i think there there is a huge aspect of this is when someone whether it's uli steck or dean potter or all, all these all these people like so many people you just I, I i genuinely have a a thing where i see dead people like i see you know i'll i just forget that someone's dead you know you'll just uh like oh yeah he's dead yeah like it's like a really it's not it's not good like when people you know if so many people have have died that you can't remember who who's alive and who's dead you know it's not maybe i've just got a maybe it's like again maybe that's another sort of um coping strategy that people just put out of their mind but 
I thought I'd, so I thought I'd uh, like I'm still I'm still alive, so that's um, that's kind of for me that's fairly important. But it is, but not the reason I'm still alive is for uh, uh, I have been very lucky in the past. I have done lots of dangerous things and I've uh, had lots of uh, close shaves and things. But is that luck? That's a that's probably a good a good place to start. So, so the, the idea of luck, like why some people lucky and why some people aren't lucky is uh, very uh, complex. Like I think a lot of it is actually down to, so I'll give you an example. Like, um, <laughs> so, like so when people say like, how many times do you think you're gonna die as a climber? Like I guess I've had so many dangerous experiences I would I generally say it's how many times I knew I was going to die but generally when you know you're going to die it's uh, it's generally things beyond your control but it's the times when you could have died that's 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 what you really have to start focusing on and if it happens if you if you know the more it happens the more you have to start questioning um questioning why that is so good an example of this a separate example was sometimes when I teach people like how to aid climb or how to do a big wall and they can't put their harness on at the start they can't put it on properly I'm like let's just stop now because this is the easiest operation um you know and if you're a, a grown adult who is a climber can't put your harness on properly we're not we're not going to get anywhere it's just too dangerous for you to do it you've just got the wrong kind of brain for this kind of thing so so looking back like i can pinpoint two 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 things that happened uh, which are very similar so one of them was when i climbed the salathe on el cap uh, we ended up like I'd, I think that was the second time I climbed El Cap. So I just so I climbed the shield. That was kind of my first, the first big wall I did, and I made loads of mistakes doing that. But not none which were uh, I thought I was going to die. Like I took like a huge, a huge fall, but it was into it was into space. It was okay. Um, so we climbed the Salathe. And we kind of, uh, anyway, we were, we, were ta- we were taking somebody, there was three of us. And then we ended up kind of rescuing two uh, guides, uh, French guides, who didn't bring enough water. For some reason they had lots of coffee, but they didn't have any water. So we ended up sort of rescuing them and sort of fixing their rope up as we were climbing. And we got to the last belay, which was like under a roof, little roof kind of thing. And it was, it was dark and... So each person was uh, jugging up the rope um, out, out from this belay. And I was the last person there. So Paul, my partner, like shouted, like, uh, release the bag. So like, re- release the whole bags. Whole bags started going up. And, and I didn't have a head touch. So that is, a, that, is, that is something, first of all, to put that down on a piece of paper. Always have a head touch. Always have some form of... Of, uh, of of lighting, where you know in the mountains, wherever, always have some form of head touch. Put your head touch on, keep it on all day long, you know, whatever on a big wall. But always have some form of lighting. So the the whole bag like swung out, and then uh, I'd had the rope, the rope was fixed. So I, put, I, I clipped my jumas on, started taking the weight. All my weight was on the rope, and then suddenly uh, Paul shouts down like. Uh, get off the like, get off the rope, which is not something you want to hear really. So in the dark, I just reached over, uh, found the found one of the bolts, took my daisy chain, clipped into it, screwed screwed it closed, and then it was like just hanging there. Took my jumas off, just hanging on this bolt. And then eventually the rope moves around. Maybe it was like running over something, and uh, it's like oh, okay, rope fixed. So. I went to unclip myself from the bolt and what I'd actually done was I had like a screw gate and had a, a hooked nose instead of like a instead of a key lock nose had like a hooked nose and as I clipped into the in the dark the nose 
had hooked onto the bolt hanger. So it was actually just hanging from the, the hook on the, on the carabiner, not the carabiner itself. And when I'd like screwed the carabiner up, I'd basically stopped the gate from closing. So I was just literally hanging, like hanging on a, on a sky hook or a hook or something. So if I'd um, sat up and sat back down again, it was a 50-50 chance it would either come off or clip all the way on. So this was like, when I realized this, it just, you know, just sent like a shiver down my spine, like, oh my heart, God. And I think, you know, maybe that was a good, you know, that, that could have been it. You know, first trip, young climber, first trip to Yosemite, somehow young clips from the rope, found his dead body, thousand, you know, 900 meters down, carabiner clipped to his harness, but the gate's closed, uh, but the, but the, the gate is like the the collar is stopping the thing from closing but it didn't so I survived so fast forward like a few more years with I was climbing went to climb a tangerine trip uh, in a day I think it was like May May time anyway it was an absolute disaster and we ended up taking three days we didn't have a portal edge we didn't have any food we spent two nights um, I slept on a, like a wooden belay seat and Matt slept in a string hammock. We had one sleeping bag and uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fucking horrendous. And when we got near the top, there was a big storm and we were literally climbing the last pitches, um, kind of Scottish winter climbing, but without any ice axes. I didn't, I didn't have any socks either. And by the time we got to the top, we were really, really close to hypothermia. Now, if you never had hypothermia, it's really, um, it's, it's very good to experience hypothermia. Like, the best way to experience hypothermia is to just go, probably go in the sea, like, because like, the sea will just suck the heat out of it straight away. So once, you, once you've had it, once you know what it feels like, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's really very good. To, it's the same with heat stroke. It's good to experience both to, the, to some degree, not too much, because it's, um, I think once you experience hypothermia or, uh, is a hypothermia and once you once you experience either i think it actually reduces your tolerance to them so you don't it's not like you get better at not getting hypothermia or heat stroke so anyway so by the time we got to the top we were absolutely frozen and we started like trying to get down the east ledges like in the dark with snow everywhere um i ended up like falling into the river uh, is it Horsetail Falls? I ended up falling into a big pool of water, so I was even more, I was even more wet. And we got to the top of the abseils near the abseils, and I think we were so tired, not really slept for three days. We, I, I just couldn't really work out where we were. Like we just somehow, because it was covered in snow, I think it kind of looked different. And I remember Matt was like, "There's a piece of rope here, like tied to a tree, going over the edge." And he was like, well, just abseil on this. And I was like, we don't know where it goes. Like, that's not the abseil. He's like, no, that'd be okay. So he like, put his belay device onto the rope and then stood over the edge. And then he looked down and the end of the rope was where his hand was. Like it was just uh, two meters of rope tied to a tree. It didn't go anywhere. So, so, that, so this, this is another, another warning sign is when you're tired, you make really, really stupid mistakes. You just do the most dumb, the most dumb stuff. It's un it's really it's unbelievable how people, you know, people people can just don't know even know what who they are or what they're doing. So, so to to avoid getting in that that situation is very uh, is a good idea. Um, but also, the, again, the more you experience extreme exhaustion, where you haven't slept for two days, three days. You, um, you, you learn to kind of, you learn to sort of step out of yourself. Like when you're doing anything dangerous, you learn to slow down. You can't do it at the speed you would if you, if you just slept. You need to um, step back from yourself and slow everything right down and treat yourself like you're somebody, you know, you treat yourself like you're looking over somebody else who is yourself. So we decided to 
kind of, instead of like scrambling down these ledges, the abseils, we decided to abseil down for anything we could because everything, like going down the east ledges in El Cap is always, a, I always find it kind of worrying. Uh, you know, if you, if you slip, you're probably going to kill yourself. You're going to have a nasty accident going down there. So we're, um, but now it's all covered in snow. So then so we, we, we had one rope which we couldn't abseil on because it was so frozen. It was just completely frozen solid. We had another rope which was uh, which was like dry treated or something, so that was that was okay. So we set up this abseil to try and get down to where we're going, and I I abseiled down. And when I got to the when I got to the bottom of the ropes, I realised that when I'd so I'd fed the rope through the belay device correctly, but when I clipped into my belay device into my belay loop, I had so many clothes on that I'd not actually clipped into the belay loop. I just caught the belay loop with the hook, the hooked nose of the carabiner. Um, so I'd just been hanging, just suspended by the, the tiny hooked nose of the carabiner hooked onto the side of the webbing. So again, if I'd stood up, sat down a few times, could easily just popped off, had no backup, so I would have died. So the takeaway from, the, uh, anyway, a number one, uh, the main takeaway is like, do not use a carabiner with a hooked nose, um, where you have to, we have to clip it, where it's like a life support thing, and you have to clip it into webbing or, or whatever. But it's just too easy for it to, you know, not hook on. To be like, it, you know, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So have, uh, so use a, using like a, you know, I think most like Black Diamond, Petzl, I think most of those carabiners now, the big lockers, have that kind of, uh, have that kind of gate. Uh, always use a backup, like, like always use a backup. There's no, there's no excuse not to use a backup when you're upsetting. It takes about five seconds, like you'll be, you'll be dead for a billion years. So just always use a backup, like don't, whether it's a single pitch, whether it's 50 pitches, always use a backup. Now, like some people just don't, and I just don't get why, because I think there's a, there's a huge aspect of bravado in climbing and just macho bullshit, like that people think that if you overly cautious or you're being safe and trying not to kill yourself or ruin your the life of your parents and your your brothers and sisters and your wife and your children is uh you know that's just a bit too being a bit overly safe safety you know there's a there's a place for you know safety fifth but not not when it comes to something as simple as that because if the you know if you're using a backup whichever way you're going to use it is that you know when that you know when you already feed one rope through your belay device and the other one doesn't go into the carabiner and you lean back you know when you're knackered and the rope pings out you're held by the prusik or when the block of ice knocks you on the head as you're abseiling down you know you don't die you don't let go of the rope and fall to your death um there's loads of practical advantages of using a prusik uh, backup you know, before you put your belay device on the rope, you put the prusik on first, you pull some slack through, the prusik holds the weight of the rope, you can put your belay device on without it being, without fumbling it, you know, when people try and put the belay, the rope through and they're fumbling the device, they drop the belay device. So, I, I, I think something that sticks in my mind is Colin Haley, who is, you know, no, no offence to Colin, but he is someone who, one of these people where, if he was to die, you know, it wouldn't be surprising. And we all, we all know this, so that's my autistic self speaking there. But, so people like that, you know, it's really nice when they just retire, you know, they just get, get a, you know, get married or something, or they, they just change what they're doing. So um, anyway, but even, even Colin, uh, I remember reading something where he said he never used a backup. And then uh, Rolando Garabotti, who was a lifer, he was a climber who, you know, has been around a long time, so he's doing he's doing a lot of things which are the right things to do. Like he showed him a way of doing a putting a prusik on super fast, and he decided he would always use one. And I hope he's still always using one. 
because another aspect of this if you're doing like crazy shit which could kill you like all the time there's so many things that are going to kill you well kill you or or do something even worse than killing you you know you end up as in a vegetative state or you you know you're a quadriplegic or whatever is why you know if, the, if all these things in your life you can't control you know why ignore the things you can control it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense to me so so being like a becoming like a bit of a a safety obsessed asshole is uh, a good idea i think so 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 in these like two two like these are two tiny little incidents in my life as a climber uh, but both times it was in the dark uh, one time i had to, i had a head touched at the time i didn't both times i was tired both times it was at the end of the day and i just rushed it like i i was doing something really really uh really really important which was you know life or death and i was like rushing it like why was i rushing it you know there's some things where you do you know if you're a i think if you're a guide you have this thing i think it's called you know guide speed where i think it's like you know you walk half as fast as normal then half again so you know your clients can keep up with you and i think it's a good i think it's quite good to have like a gear a gear system in your brain where when you're doing certain things you go into um you know you go into like fifth gear in your brain it's like this is i'm now doing something i'm tying into the rope or i am setting up this abseil or i am clipping it you know i'm clipping into the you know all these things that like go into the fifth gear of your brain and just really slow it down check it check it again um you know like when you're setting up to abseil so i'm writing this book at the moment which is all about abseiling abseiling and descending from mountains you know and getting into the getting into this uh preloading you know so you you set up the you set up the the abseil and you um before you unclip from the from the abseil from the anchor you know you preload everything you check your you check the rope is running through the belay device you check the belay device is clipped to your harness you check the you know you check the prusik is locking properly on the on the two ropes and this this only takes like one second you know everything set up you've checked it all once when you're putting it all on you sit, you sit back you wear everything you check your prusik you know check it all that's good unclip off you go so you you're slowing you're slowing down like i i'll guarantee you when you uh when you lean back on that belay device and the belay device isn't clipped into your harness time will slow down anyway it'll slow down right to the point you hit the ground so you might as well slow down before that happens so um so yes yeah, so, so 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 taking these things um you know seriously is is really really important i don't i don't want to sound like i'm some you know again like i don't want to well, does it matter if i sound like someone who's trying to tell you not how not to kill yourself and yeah like so some people like you know i've been climbing for years and uh you know what why why you know i'm a very safe climber now there's like you can be a really good climber but you could also be like a really dangerous climber and becoming um you 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 can you can become um complacent like you start sort of cutting corners like you're always telling people what to do how to do things properly but anything like oh I don't really do that I'll just you know this and and I think like complacency is uh you know it's like a it's probably a, a, you know it's a good reason why people um have accidents like I think like I think it's like 1.1.25 million people get killed a year in road accidents and 94% of them are uh are caused by humans having I mean, human uh, like negligence so that's kind of <laughs> you know it's a, the chances of you dying because of uh 
a piece of gear fails uh, or a mountain falls on top of you on top of you is is uh, you know it's, pr- it's probably not going to be the case uh, a good a good a good thing to study is a good thing to, to, to buy is the uh, the um, accidents in North American mountaineering which comes out every year and you just read through just read through that you'll see you know people people you know generally everybody just fucks up and they uh they make a mistake and i would say i've been researching for this book like you know have i've i've been looking at like so many so many so many accidents absolutely i'm like, trying to you know i'm trying to pull in together all this information that I know already from experience, but then other information from other people like new ways of doing things, um, like highlighting where we often do things, which 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 are uh, you know like there's so much confusion still about how to join two abseiling ropes together, how to ro- two ropes together, which is like amazing. Like how why do we still have a a debate about it? Um, so often really often really simple things like tying two ropes together is actually very complex because there's so many different um, elements to it. You know, you're, not, you're not tying two 11 millimeter dynamic ropes together. You're tying some five millimeter Kevlar to a, you know, like a, you know, 9.1 meter, um, millimeter rope. So there's a lot of like uh, a complexity to it. Um, so I think the so I think it's really it's really important to like when you so a lot of the accidents it's where people can um, are often using a they know a technique so say you're abseiling on a you're abseiling with like a tagline and you fed the rope through this mayon you've tied a knot in it and you've tied the tagline to it and you're just going to abseil down on one rope uh, with your grigri and then you're going to pull the rope down, um, which is called blocking. So we can't even, a lot. That's another issue. Like we have, we have like several names for the for the same thing, and we also have uh, several things which have no names. You know, climbers don't know what you call them. So when you you know, so, so that's that's another problem. So you know, so the, the person's abseiling on the gree gree, and the the weight of one person on one rope. So when you're abseiling on two ropes, you know the weight is divided by over two ropes. So the amount of weight on the the knot is half your body weight. But when you're when you're blocking and you're abseiling on one rope, you know all your weight is on the knot. So the uh, it's actually easier than you think for a knot to creep through like a, a rapid link, a mayon, uh, a ring, or whatever. So you know you have, this person's abseiling, the knot pulls through, they fall to the death. So there's a point where this person knew, he knew this technique, but he didn't necessarily understand it. So, so, so we live in a, we live in this age where you have all this, all this information. We have like so much information. Like when I started climbing, you know, there was, there was probably about five books, if maybe less than that, five techniques. Like I started climbing in the eighties, um, late seventies, eighties. You know, like a book like you know Nigel Shepard's Modern Rope Techniques was like revolutionary. Like it probably, it probably changed. You know, it probably made British climbers, you know, so much safer. Then you had like you know John Long's books came out. Um, like totally, the amount of information that was being imparted through those books was was a, you know a profoundly profoundly changed climbing. But now you have, you know, you have like people just writing so much you have like forums you have people who are talking about things um and and some things are like everything has the same seems to have the same value so like abseiling abseiling off a retrievable fifi hook you know if you were to do a you know it's, it's probably something that nobody will ever 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 have to do Unless they choose to, because they're making a video for YouTube or something. But if you were to just look how many times it, this this really dangerous technique comes up, 
you could think it was it was a valid technique and people did it all the time um, but it's not so you know all, all climbers no matter what they're doing so Alex Honnold you know all, the, all these like you know Jimmy Chin all these like you know people are climbing all the time you know 99% of the time they're just using vanilla climbing techniques there's nothing fancy pants whatsoever and it's only on the you know like 0.1% of the time when you have to call on on things which aren't sort of standard and that's where you have this you know you have this like toolkit um, of uh, of obscure techniques like when you like we tried to I can remember climbing the cross trying to climb the cross spare on the Grand Giras and it was like really there's a part of it was super loose it was probably you not know, wasn't in good condition and uh, and you pulled off a rock came down and uh, chopped chopped one of the ropes we had we had like sort of uh, twin ropes it was like an eight millimeter rope uh, no probably thinner than that anyway it chopped the rope so the rope was like all you know it was knackered but we kept on going so we just kind of climbed on one rope then a big storm came and then we had to abseil down but we only had this one rope so then you know you'd read I'd read or I'd written something about abseiling um, you know abseiling on a single rope and using the other rope to blocking basically uh, to pull the other rope down um, so that's what we did so you know you'd had this like obscure technique um, but knowing it probably saved your ass enough to get rescued because to get down you know like for 400 meters off a face with one 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 rope isn't easy so so you need you need to you need to know these techniques but but also you just need to understand them like it's not it's no good saying oh i read this thing on a forum about uh you know doing some um you know a crazy knot um you know as a mccrane knot or something like this knot where we could put around this boulder and we can do this and you know god you're gonna you're gonna kill yourself um so so we have we have this like I've, I've noticed like I was in Aust- I was climbing in Australia this year for like three months and there's always been this issue of there's always been the issue since the 80s 90s of you had like climbing wall climbers and you had like climbing climbers um, and but I always felt, felt like people who learned in the climbing wall they had they, they, they seemed to have some sort of humility when they went outdoors like climbing outdoors and they seemed to always find someone at a climbing wall who knew what they were doing who climbed outdoors and they went out climbing outdoors and they kind of picked it up and all climbers seem to uh you know it's a very like climbing is actually incredibly safe like you you meet people who are complete fuckwits and they do so much wrong and they seem to fall off and the belay standing too far out and all the wires pull out but one one holds them and you know the, the capacity for people not to not to kill themselves is actually pretty impressive like it's not like base jumping like no one ever gets injured base jumping because they just die you know you can't make any mistake and oh that's it where well, climbing's not like that so you know so people would go out and they would hopefully they'd meet they'd find another climber who, who actually climbed outside and they would you know learn how to put gear in and the capacity the, the human capacity for self-preservation is is very high so you know you could give a complete novice you know a rack of nuts and some things and they'll, they'll go up and they'll you know they, they won't be able to push themselves to the point where they can just fall and die hopefully they'll just like hang on hang on in there like i, I remember seeing some people and they had Instead of quick draws, they had like loops, like prussic loops, like five mil prussic loops, and they were larks footing the loops through the wire and then p- putting a carabiner on it to save, uh, you know. So, so, so some people do some like crazy shit like that. So, um, but I've, I've, oh god, there's cock crowing. I do, I do feel though that the amount of information out there, amount of books, um, forums, websites, that climbers who are climbing primarily in climbing walls can actually like educate themselves to like a huge degree but they uh, but they're, miss- they're missing some component they're missing 
like right, having written, you know, I've written two, two or three like instructional books. It's really, it's really hard to put your, to get into because you're you you're writing the books. You know what? You, hopefully, you know what you're writing about. Because your experience, it's quite hard to to write it in a way that makes sense to someone who isn't experienced. Um, it's all the tiny little things because it's a it's a physical. You're not writing about quantum physics. You're writing about putting in nuts and cams and tying knots and and all the little mistakes you can make and all the little you know variables. So so like travelling around, you see. A, see a lot of climbers who they're doing kind of complex stuff so so climbing in a Rapalese you'll see people like setting up these super super complex cordlets slit you know like equalettes all this kind of shit and then you know they'll be like you know it's so overbuilt it's like you're building a bloody you know you're rescuing a Land Rover out of a gully or something you know this super complex anchor and then they'll just like they're on a you know a good ledge, and then they'll just kind of drop down over the over the edge, and they'll be hanging there like a hanging bee layer below a ledge. And basically, what they've done, they've set up a top rope anchor, but but they're beeling off belaying off it. So you know they've got the the master point hanging over the edge, so it's not going to rub whatever, which is like totally in a, totally inappropriate for what they're actually doing. So so they've got like all these bits of information. But they they don't really understand what they know. So, like I think it is, it's you know if anyone is listening to this, or you know someone who is uh, who is um, starting out, like we we as climbers, like we have a responsibility, like to sound like assholes sometimes, is to say, you know, you just have to word it in the right way. You know, if you see somebody, you know, if it, you know, it's, it's it's really difficult, but you know sometimes you have to say, um, you know, start start just start, start talking to someone. Have you been climbing long, um, or you just start climbing outdoors? How are you finding it? You know, what's it like? You know, blah blah blah. Or they'll say something like, "Why have you got two ropes?" And you'll just say like, "Because I don't want to die." Have you seen the state of this? Like climbing in the Blue Mountains, you've got all these sharp, um, you know, sharp iron bands, which are just gonna Chop your rope. You've got a little skinny, you know, little skinny rope. You know, you're just going to die if you if that goes over at some kind of sharp edge. So um, you know, but you, you start a conversation with someone who we can tell is a uh, is starting out, and then you have to start saying, "Oh, I noticed you did this. Like, have you ever thought about doing this way? Or you know, you're racking your cordlet like this. Like, have you, this is a really cool thing, and you can spend you can spend like 20 minutes with somebody. And you can impart in those 20 minutes enough information that could really save their lives. Not just, not just save their lives, but make them, you know, save the, their climbing partner's lives. Um, like in the past, you had a, you know, you did an apprenticeship, basically. You know, some older climber, they took you climbing. You know, you watch how they did things. And often people didn't do things, they weren't safe either, but they were, they were damn safer than you just reading a book. So, so I think there's a, you know, we're kind of, we, 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 we have a responsibility to other climbers, as climbers, because the more climbers who kill themselves, you know, it's going to make life more difficult for us. Like, you know, it, I can definitely see a time where, you know, in some countries, they'll just ban climbing, you know, they'll ban cigarettes, they'll ban, you know, anything that's, that's in any way dangerous, they'll just, uh, you know, just get rid of it. So we have a, you know, we have like an obligation basically as climbers to do that. But you just have to, you just have to do it in the right way. Um, so I would say, like abseiling, abseiling is a really, um, is a really good, you know, good thing to think about. You know, watching people belaying. Like, don't be the person. Like, I remember someone telling me we were walking along the top of Stanage um, in the UK. And he said, uh, oh, you see that boulder there? So, like, people literally belay off that boulder. And this boulder was the size of a small television. And, it, and we were laughing about it. And as he was saying it, a guy came up uh, off the top of the crag, got a sling, put it over this boulder, and uh, clipped into it. And then 
the, the, my friend just went up and said, hey mate, look at this. And he just, uh, he just lifted up this boulder, just literally lifted the boulder up off the ground. And the guy was like, what are you doing? That's my bele. So, um, so there's a, there's a good way and a bad way of doing it. And some people are not gonna, they're not gonna, you know, like, <laughs> you know, if, you're, if it's like two women climbing, they're gonna think you're like mansplaining to them or whatever. But fuck it, like you just, you know, women died exactly the same as men. So sometimes, you know, I, 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 an example of this was a friend of mine, he was climbing next to this young guy who was ice climbing and this young guy fell off this ice route twice like onto his ice screws and this friend of mine shouted over like I've been climbing I've been climbing for 30 years ice climbing for 30 years I've only ever fallen off once you've just fallen off twice on one route anyway so within a week this young guy was dead you know he, he fell off a route and he died so being being not being afraid to sound like a an old fucking asshole like you know know it all is, is sometimes there's a, there's a there's a value to it so at the other at the other end of the you know at the other end you have um the really good climbers so you have like alex honold and um like alex probably the, the number number one person i'm thinking about here is uh i think i think climbers need to think more about the impact of what they do what they say on impressionable new climbers um like like we we are like straying into climbing being like a a cult of death basically uh we have all these martyrs who have died and they're all heroic and you know blah 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 and no one is ever allowed to be critical of them or why they died or their um you know like psych deep sort of deep psychological issues that were going on you know in the lives of certain certain people and like i i you know like i've i've met alex honnold a few times and he like he would i know he he's expressed opinions about climbers he's climbed with who he thought were really dangerous and he wouldn't want to climb with them again and i think um you know the i think the evidence is there that alex is just uh, uh, nothing to do with soloing you know alex is just way too casual uh, a climber and he and i think he has he doesn't like i'm gonna get into trouble for saying it saying this but i think he he gives the idea that he doesn't really give a fuck about his climbing partners now this is you know this is probably just me you know but i if i feel like that when i watch like free soul or whatever he's just way too casual and yeah maybe maybe his climbing partners are are into that you know but often there's a thing where you, know, you can climb with people who are really really good and they're just like just really slack they're just really they, they're not holding the rope, you know. They're doing, they're, they're doing things they shouldn't want to be doing. They're cutting corners, and because you're the less experienced one, you you don't feel like you're able to say like, "Look, Alex, just fucking hold the rope. Fucking belay me. Like we are going climbing together. Fucking belay me. Like don't make excuses like we're speed climbing or trying to break. Like I I'm going speed climbing. I'm not going soloing, you know, tied to a rope." So there's a, there's a there's a point where we you know like people are watching you know you know when you know so, so people are influenced by what other people do and I've seen like there's always been people soloing around when you go climbing it's like a it's a it's a phase you go through because you get into climbing you get better and then you stop getting better so then you start soloing because if you got to get better, you can kind of show off how cool you are by soloing. And most people tend to grow out of it. They they, they start getting better again. Or oh, the you know they, they just they just get they just get out of it. But you just see so many so many people like really really sketchy like soloing around, and uh, and I'd, you know you can't you can't put all that down on the 
the shoulders of Alex and people, but there's a, there's a point where some things become like normalized and acceptable. And, you know, in, you know, in, in base jumping, it's, uh, you know, the normalization of like everyone you, you've ever known dying, doing it is, uh, you know, you don't want to get, you don't end up, end up like that with climbing. You know, climbing really needs to keep its house in order, needs to look after people, it needs to show responsibility, it needs to, it needs to, uh, like in the UK we have the thing called the Jonathan Conville Trust, which um, is a charity and it helps fund uh, young climbers going to the Alps and it helps fund their training, I think it's like two or three days of training about, you know, crevasses and all this kind of stuff. And we, we, you know, like, we need to have something like that, some more formalised, because we, we, we've lost the ability to train young climbers uh, through, like, an apprenticeship with older climbers. And there's so much information out there. We need to move towards some way of safeguarding people where, you know, I'm sure there's other, there's other things like that around, but a lot of people I know who are guides... I think like, um, like Kenton Cool, who's climbed Everest like 20 times or something, uh, Rich Cross, people like that. They all went through the Conville Trust, and um, you know it's really it's a really really good system to just give people that, that little bit of to have like a, a mountain guide, just you know just show them like how to uh, you know how to do a few things that's gonna gonna keep them safe because it really is uh, you know like the, the the, the the devastation, you know, of someone dying. It's you know, if, for us, it's something that's just it's the news. It's you know, it's in the news today. We'll all we'll all forgotten by next week. But um, you know, for other people, it's just that's all they think about for the rest of their lives. Like you, if it's your mum or whatever. And on the other on the other extreme is that you know, climbing accidents. It's not just about dying it's about like things which are you know it's not it's not a fit worse than death but it's we have this kind of hollywood image of like you know like two superheroes like punching each other in the face and there's no repercussions and so you know there was this fall recently with um is it emily harrington and uh you know and alex another Anyway, we won't go into that. We'll have to wait till the, you know, the jury's out on that one. What happened there? But you know, it's like, oh, she had the big bump on her head, and uh, and uh, but she's okay now. Like I know, and I'm sure, I'm sure they know as well. I know people who were just sport climbing, and the rope was behind their head, behind, behind their leg. They flipped upside down and just struck the back of their head, and that bump on their head completely affected their whole life um uh, like the, the your brain is an amazingly complex machine like if you drop me if you drop your computer on the floor think you know think what damage that can do a brain is far more far more um delicate than a computer you know it affected their you know people it just affected their relationships their work their whole life just uh, changed because they they banged their head so wearing a helmet, that's another good one. Uh, and, um, you know, I used, to, I used to have a, you know, girlfriend who was uh, paraplegic. She just fell like 10 meters, um, hit the ground. Uh, basically, all her, all her gear pulled out, two, two, you know, two balled. The gear pulled out, fell 10 meters, um, ended up, you know, paraplegic, broke her arms, broke her neck, broke her skull. Um, and the effect of, you know, the effect of being a 21-year-old who's uh, paraplegic on just your life, the life of everyone you know, is like, is profound. So, so there's a there's a there's a point where you, you know, we, if you, you we want we want to do stuff that's we want to we want to experience like danger. We want to be able to be free to to really go to the to the margins basically of between you know life and death and uh like it's an amazing it's amazing to you know to in, in this we live in a world which is so risk averse to be able to 
be someone bold enough to to do those things is uh you know it's like transformationary in in the rest of your life as well because uh you know if you've really if you've really been you know if you've really been if you're really like holding on to life um you know as a climber i think it, i think it makes you a much more a much better human being um but at the same time if we're going to if we're going to do that we you know if you're going to do that really take it seriously uh you know really like don't don't be uh you know just really just really take it seriously so um so i'll probably wrap this up uh i could probably talk about this like all day long but but i'll leave you i'll leave you with this uh i'll leave you with this i'll leave this little one of my little ideas about this kind of thing um i used to i used to cycle a lot i used to cycle like 24 miles every day I used to cycle to, uh, to work over this big mountain so it was like 12 miles there 12 miles back and um, I was quite into cycling so I cycled everywhere I always I always wore a helmet because I'd had I think I'd had like uh, I've had um, concu- like amnesia twice in my life from a head injury and uh, both times it was uh, on my bike uh, when I flew over the flew over my handlebars and and both times I didn't have a helmet on, so so, so second, third time I yeah, decided to start wearing a helmet. So so I always wore a helmet, and I left my uh, I think I, I think I'd I'd left my helmet. No, my helmet had been stolen, and my bike was at was at work. And it was when I became I, I started being sponsored by Patagonia, and I had to I had to cycle like 20 miles somewhere to to meet the. The guy who ran Patagonia in Europe. So I got on this bike and I cycled like 20 miles. Uh, got there, uh, had this like you know, you do all your stuff, you sign your sign your life away, all, all this kind of stuff. You get your uh, free pair of Patagonia socks and everything else. And I got back on my bike and I had to cycle back to Sheffield. And I'm cycling along. So in, so in my life so far, I must have cycled, you know, a few, you know few thousand miles probably on my bike uh so i'm cycling along and i come down this uh like sheffield's got a lot of big hills you know i'm coming down this hill like hurtling down this hill and just just ahead of me i could see this this car and everyone was getting out of this car so i could see the the door the cars on my side of the street facing me and the doors were open so in your brain you're like you know just track away from where that car is because uh, you know the car doors are open, you know whatever. And then as I was getting closer, I suddenly saw this uh, this thing bouncing around inside, and and I realised it was a dog. And just as I realised it was a dog, the dog just like bounded out of the car into the road and and straight in front of me. And he had this again this thing where the time slowed down, and the dog was right in front of me. The dog saw me. I saw the dog. The dog like cowered down, and I realised I was I wasn't be able, I couldn't avoid the dog. Either the dog would move out of the way and keep going, or I, or I was going to hit it. And I hit the dog, and I ended up flying through the air. And I think the bike was actually still. I basically went flying through the air, and I landed on my head. And I ended up I ended up like anyway I ended up like sprawled on the street and. I kind of uh, was like stunned for a second, and and then I thought I'd first thing I thought I thought I'd broken my leg, but my bike was still clipped onto one uh, onto one onto one of my shoes, and I just laid there, and I sat up, and uh, all these people started coming out. It's a very like narrow little Yorkshire town, uh, Yorkshire city. All these people started coming out, and my head was like just really bleeding, and I basically landed onto the back of my head, and I had like you know blood everywhere, and. Uh, and this woman, this old woman came out, she said, oh, you've banged your head. And she was like, giving me loads of uh, um, like paper towels. And I was like, I remember saying like, oh, don't worry, I've not got AIDS. So um, so I put this thing on my, anyway, so I, um, but then just felt really embarrassed. So I kind of got, got up and, uh, and I was like, oh no, I'm all right, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I was like, how's the dog? And then they were like, oh, don't worry about it. So I guess the dog must have been dead or something. So. 
said, oh, I'm okay. So I put my, so I started trying to cycle away and they said, oh, there's an ambulance coming. I was like, oh no, I'm okay. I started trying to cycle away, then my chain had come off. So then I just started like walking away. And then I don't remember anything else. Um, uh, I then uh, for some reason I went to like, I had like amnesia, I had sort of post accident amnesia. I don't remember anything else that happened apart from, you know, like some time later I was at home and um, the phone rang and I answered it. Then I put it down again and then the phone rang again. I picked it up and someone was like, are you okay? And I didn't, I, I didn't, re- I didn't know who I was talking to or what, or what I just said to this person. And uh, I slowly started coming back together again. And I was really, really, you know, really lucky. Um, and had this, this, this thing where you have a, um, apparently it's quite common people have epileptic fits, where I was completely convinced I knew I was going to crash and hit that dog before it happened. But this is something you've, that, that appears in your brain after it's, ha- after it's happened. Like someone says, I knew I was going to have a fit. Well, they didn't know they were going to have a fit. They just believe it's like an implanted memory. Anyway, so the point of this story is, is as a climber, you can go through your, your whole life. Um, you know, as a climber, you can do dangerous shit. You can play it safe. You can just go sport climbing. You can do what, you know, can do it all. But for everyone, there's like out there, there's like a black dog and avoiding that black dog as much as possible uh, is what it's all about, I think. Um, to avoid that, like, the oh shit moment, the moment where you realise your whole life is about to change and it wouldn't, it, and for no reason, like, you just fucked up. So, on that cheery note, um, I, shall, uh, I shall sign off. Um, so these, these podcasts, this is number two. Uh, I, think they're on, uh, I think they're on iTunes now, uh, uh, YouTube, uh, Google and things. Um, if you like them, uh, please tell your friends or or share them. Like I'm, I've, you know, I, I, the more the more people listen to stuff, the more I can be asked doing it. And uh, uh, if anybody's got any anything they want me to talk about, any uh, questions, I shall uh, I shall try and uh, talk about them. So um, so so uh, I shall turn it off. So. I see you. I'll, I'll post the. I post these podcasts every Friday, so I shall uh, see you next Friday. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.